0: Coffeehouse Shots is sponsored by NatWest, the bank that's helping small businesses build back better and greener. The transition to net zero could create 130,000 new jobs for small and medium-sized businesses. That's why NatWest is aiming to lend $100 in sustainable financing by 2025. Find out more about climate support for businesses at natwest.com slash climate. And welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's Daily Politics Podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman, and I'm joined by Katie Balls and James Forsyth. Uh, well, we have a, a new front being opened in the Boris Johnson versus Emmanuel Macron bickering, which is a report that the French president called Boris Johnson a clown. James, do you think Boris Johnson is going to be that upset by that as a as a um, as a term of endearment? <laughs>
1: I think it says something about the state of Anglo-French relations that, first of all, this report appeared in, and then when the Elysee was asked about it, it just got a no comment, which is everyone is taking essentially as a confirmation that that, that Macron did make the remarks. And I I think things are very bad right now in Anglo-French relations. Now, the kind of optimist view would be, oh, look, just wait for the French presidential election to happen next spring, and once Macron has been re-elected, then things will improve. Another slightly different take, depending on who you think is more or less responsible for this row, is to imagine that, you know, once there's a new British Prime Minister maybe relations will improve. I think, But I think there is actually a more serious underlying problem in Anglo-French relations, which is that they have very different views on how Europe should respond to this US pivot to the, the Indo-Pacific. I, I think the UK's view is that, you know, that it's, it's kind of the job to kind of hold the line in Europe along the lines that the Americans have said. And the most important thing is to keep America strategically interested in Europe. So hence the UK's view that NATO should do more about China China China, while I think France thinks that, you know, this is a moment for European strategic autonomy. So so there is something more serious underlying these tensions. But I also think there is a very childish feel to the current Macron-Johnson relationship. And the fact that, you know, you've got a situation where Emmanuel Macron is calling Boris Johnson a clown always kind of seems to sum up the kind of pettiness of the relationship at the moment.
0: And James, do you mean a pettiness between both men? Or do you think there's there's more childishness on, on one side than the other?
1: I think there is plenty of blame to go round. I, th- I think Macron is being particularly combative on issues like fishing licences and the like. But I don't think the way that the UK has approached the question of the Northern Ireland protocol, which it did sign, has helped. And I also think that, that there was a failure to get... I think AUKUS was the right thing for the UK to do. I think that for the first few days, as the French were getting very angry about it. The UK government did a good job of not rising to the bait. I think it was a mistake for Boris Johnson to do the pre-noir and grip, don and break stuff.
0: And, Casey, just moving a, a little along in Europe, in Germany there's a new policy which is uh, banning unvaccinated people from shops and bars just tell us a little bit more about about this policy
2: Yeah, so Angela Merkel has said that Germany will ban people who have not been vaccinated against Covid from large parts of public life so culture and leisure nationwide will be open only to those who have been vaccinated or recovered from Covid and the same rule applies to non-essential shops now I think as was detailed in the spectators cover piece last week this is not a single event this is part of a general Trend, I think it began with Austria, of different rules for the unvaccinated. And I think as the COVID situation grows more concerning on the continent, you're seeing more people move to this. In terms of the UK, I do think there was a sense probably a week and a half ago that the UK was not going to go down these routes because ultimately the government felt that you can never be too certain things like COVID. That they were not suffering in the same way as other countries when it comes to the Delta variant, put down to various factors, including um, you know perhaps reopening earlier over the summer, and therefore the UK was in a different place. I think with the Omicron variant, everything feels a bit more uncertain again, and you can see that in the various uh, morning rounds. Which every time I think a minister or a scientific advisor gives an interview, it gets a bit more confusing what we're meant to be doing. So you have Downing Street insisting, you know, everyone go about your business as you were yes wear a mask in a few of these places but nothing else is changing press on with your christmas party plans unless you hear otherwise there is no reason to change tack and yet even this morning you had george freeman a business minister suggesting that actually maybe you should limit work parties to you know a handful of people now being slapped down by number 10 the prime minister still say you should do it but i think as we learn more about omicron if it, if it is the case that some of the more concerning things turn out to be true I think we're going to head to lots of debates about whether we should be adopting things that um, those governments in Europe are if, if the situation
0: does worsen. And James in your politics column in this week's magazine you write about the political impact of Omicron as uh, scientists try to work out how serious it is or otherwise. Uh, how damaging do you think it, it is to what you describe in, in your column as ministers starting to think that uh, the government might be able to regain its footing in the polls after several weeks of, of self-inflicted damage?
1: Yeah, I, I think I think if we'd spoken um just over a week ago, you know, ministers were sotto of voce beginning to say, look, over the Christmas period, you're going to see the UK and specifically England with very, very few restrictions in place, while more and more measures are being introduced in Europe. You'd had Austria, you know, banning the unvaccinated essentially from the, the public square and also saying that they were moving to compulsory vaccination in February. Holland imposing a curfew of 8pm, which was met with kind of riots. You would had Germany, lots of German states barring Christmas markets. I think ministers thought, well, look, people will see, but the UK is having a much more normal Christmas. Now, I mean, that is now far less certain because of this new variant. It's not that the new variant is going to have, I think, much of an impact before Christmas. I think there's a very good piece by Chris Smythe in The Times today suggesting that, that, you know, January is when we really will see the effects of Omicron, if there are any. But the mood has changed, as Katie said, because we now have some restrictions coming back into place on international travel, on masks, on self-isolation, people who have contact with someone who has the new variant. But also, as Katie was saying, every time ministers go on the TV or the radio, They've been asked about this, and they're suggesting ways in which people should change their behaviour. So Tracey Coffee saying, "Don't snog people you don't know this Christmas because that might spread the variant." Number ten saying that they're still in favour of people um, uh, snogging as they wish, and so the mood is very different than it was previous variant. And I think that you know, if you look at the deaths and hospitalisations, you know, in terms of dealing with Delta the situation appears to be getting better. It's what, just what no one knows what this new variant will bring yet. And we'll have to wait another two to three weeks, I think, to have a clearer idea
0: about that. Katie, uh, as James uh, set out there, there, there is a difference in opinion, possibly uh, relating to, to different outlooks on, on, on life between different ministers and, and number 10 as to whether you should be snogging or indeed having a Christmas party or whatever. Now, an added edge to all of this is the uh, second day of a row about Christmas parties in Downing Street last year and they were very clearly not allowed. George Freeman, who you mentioned, was doing the broadcast round earlier today and had the benefit of saying that he wasn't in government so he wasn't anywhere near Downing Street this time last year. But I mean... Is the government going to be able to move on from these allegations? Or is it going to be something that that again causes more self-inflicted damage?
2: I think it's an interesting one. I mean, the story's still going. It's still, you know, high up on various websites It's in the papers today. How much momentum does it get? You can see it going on for a bit longer. I do sense that is not got the same level of rage as certain stories like Barnard Castle did in terms of everyone talking about it. That's not to say that people aren't upset by it. You have families of people who lost their loved ones after that Christmas wave who've come and said they think it's, um, you know, very upsetting to hear there was a party in 10 Downing Street at that time but I suspect where it's more damaging is it's just again playing into this one rule for them narrative and it's almost slowly chipping away there doesn't seem to be that much shock people don't seem hugely surprised people seem pretty annoyed they're not like oh uh, imagine it by now I do think that during the pandemic there's been enough to suggest that the government was you know, ultimately doing lots of things people couldn't do and much of it was in the rules because there were special exceptions but that at the same time has added to this sense that lots of people were following rules that ministers and their aides did not follow and I think it just plays more into that and it does go back to the party guidance at the moment which is it clearly would be more difficult for number 10 to suddenly say yeah maybe you should think about changing your Christmas parties at a time when a story is everywhere about how the fact they had Christmas parties of 40 to 50 people up to three times at a time no one else could do that so it is having an effect in terms of the government's messaging now I'm pretty sure that Boris Johnson partly because he is an optimist doesn't want anyone to cancel their Christmas parties until you know he really has to do that until there's something substantial but it does mean I think there's even like less flex in terms of what down the street can be saying right now
0: thank you katie thank you james and thank you for listening and if you enjoy our podcast you really should subscribe to my daily evening blend email it's a free roundup and analysis of all the political news each day and a diary of what to expect next just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend
1: the spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward voucher.